Welcome everyone to the Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Where's my money, honey? The Luke Cage podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 206, The Basement, is brought to you by Irie Cabs. Hear me now, brethren. Win him no one four cabs, but every cab call Irie. Wow, Pete, I felt like Bushmaster was here with us uh, for a moment there. So glad to be continuing. Now we're officially, you know, give or take, we're 30 minutes away from the half point of the season. Things are racing by. July is here. We have uh, going to see Ant-Man and the Wasp in two days, Pete. And it's all just, it's all Marvel, except for the uh, Star Trek podcast we did last weekend. Yes, dropping uh, further news on season two. Got some communique through the old cloaking shields. Definitely want to check that one out. Take us to your recap, Matt. The episode has a delightful opening with sprightly music while Luke and Piranha are chased. Sheldon calling out for Mr. Cage. They're caught at the edge of the building, but luckily for Piranha, Luke can make a man fly. Or at the very least get thrown. Luke gives Sheldon five seconds to talk, and in a great character moment, Sheldon counts down to five and doesn't talk. Rosklot. What does that even mean? The credits show this episode was written by Aida Mashaka Kroll and directed by Mills and Sheldon. With Bushmaster at the restaurant, Tembi Wallace reports on the heads on a stick at the Shirley Chisholm complex. Bushmaster is proud of the effect, though his countrymen are less so. Sheldon calls, and Bushmaster decrees that the area be flooded to find Luke and Piranha. Our hero and his fish friend make their way to the Uptown Theater, now closed. Piranha explains the stylers are all about money. Later, he explains that Mariah was just the first one to back him when he worked on Wall Street. It was just a little insider information. Everyone does it. So now she's black Mariah Trump. Hmm. Piranha reiterates he's got power of attorney, and it's the first time he realizes that makes him a top bargaining chip. Luke is tipped off by DW that some cats are looking for him at the barbershop. At Harlem's Paradise, Shades is circling the wagons and surprised to see Comanche walk through the door. The deaths of Ray Ray and Cockroach are recapped, and Che recommends um, Shades suspend his connection with Mariah. Shades decides he and Comanche need to go after Piranha, who has access to all that plastics money. Their next stop, the barbershop. Hey, they're the two cats. They sit back to back, one facing the front, the other the rear. Later, Comanche notes that he might be whacked over some beef he didn't even cook. Shades recap season one, including Mariah killing Cottonmouth. Comanche's recommendation, Shades needs to take command, but Shades wants to live the clean life. It's a great character-driven scene for both characters. At the police precinct, Mariah is to be questioned by Misty, with the okay from the chief. If they don't, then Ice will start to round up the Jamaicans on site. She's taken a task for breaking the cockroach's apartment, though, and sent home. Rittenauer ends up questioning Mariah himself, calling her May May, the sympathetic witness, the one he held hands with in high school. Misty, still watching, is pulled away to do paperwork because hand of the writer? Unobserved, Rittenauer talks to Mariah about Piranha and Cage being attacked, status unknown. 
And did she know about any of the heads? She IDs Mark Higgins and Ray Ray, but not Cockroach. Rittenauer wants her to cooperate, but she walks. She ends up at an empty Harlem's Paradise and calls Tilda, who's had the nerve to ghost Mom after the whole Heads on Pikes thing. Assistant Alex pours her a drink, and she toasts love and trust. Screw them both. She concludes that only Luke Cage can protect everything she has in the world. Misty goes out to dinner with Ken from Rescue Me, although in the MCU he's Dr. Cabe Krasner from Luke Cage episode 109. He doesn't consult for the department anymore, the NYPD, not the FDNY, so what he's told is confidential. She tells him about planting evidence, and he says she needs to think about who she really is. Back at Antti's restaurant, Bushmaster is taken to task for what he's done. He's reminded that his people came here to America with nothing and have built everything up from scratch to build businesses, lives, futures. And now there's the risk of being sent back. Eye for an eye makes the whole world blind, but Bushmaster is ready to go to war. It's morning now and the Jamaicans notice the busted door at the theater. Inside, Piranha would love to call home. We get Piranha backstory. His mother worked the streets for Mama Mabel, and she had a customer that loved Piranha's mother. Piranha worked hard, ended up in Forbes, when the man lost everything in the mortgage crisis. It's a great scene for Piranha, who says Luke needs to reconcile with his father. Luke has a different conclusion. He calls Misty with the news that Piranha is the key to it all. Phone call over, Piranha is gone, and the Jamaicans have him. There's a lengthy fight that Piranha declares was dope. At Harlem's Paradise, Mariah talks about losing her dream, and Shades reminds her that they're partners. He knows about Bushmaster's auntie's restaurant and unspoken plans to take it out. Shades grabs some tushy, and Mariah confirms that no one else knows about Tone's death in season one. At the precinct, Mariah fesses up to Rittenauer, who notes that one, she's confessing, and two, she didn't frame a previously dead man. She's at a crossroads, police work isn't changing the community, and she doesn't want to become a dirty cop. She hands in her gun and badge and walks. At Rev Dad's church, Luke and Piranha wait, then Rev Dad arrives. Piranha is charming with Dad, and the latter asks the former to step away. Dad wants all the info from Luke, but in the interim, Piranha is welcome to stay, and Luke is welcome to come back. Luke's off to do what he's going to do. Luke steps out and calls Bushmaster in exchange for a showdown, a fair fight for Piranha and Harlem at High Bridge at high noon. And there they meet, monologuing a bit. Then the fight starts, and it's a good one, with the main actors providing a lot of the goods. But wait, isn't this our season climax? Bushmaster blows cheater powder on Luke, paralyzing him where he stands. Bushmaster says they could have been brethren, and kicks Luke off the bridge into the river to end the episode. Pete, now we're going to talk about some bad... Mm, Shut your mouth. We're going to talk about bad guys, Petey. Let's start with the stylers. Yes, full-on gang warfare, Matt. Coming at Luke and Piranha from the very start. Uh questioning kids on the street um even intimidating genghis connie matt 
Yes, that was a nice little uh, moment there. I was like, oh, man, there's going to be a big Genghis Khan storyline. She, of course, Pete, as I'm sure you noticed, she has Genghis Khan 2, T-O-O. Yes. That's the second location, the, the first one. The best way to, to do that. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, there's no question in this episode that people in the community are recognizing that there's trouble on the streets. Enterprising young man who says, you know... I'll be home, you know, there's, it, I think there's the heat out there, words to that effect. And what I find interesting is the people in the community know the pressure is on. It takes a little while for NYPD to realize, oh man, even the precinct is getting staked out. I mean, that was kind of shocking. I guess it's done in a, in a dramatic way to kind of get at, all right, now they're reacting. They're getting 50 new unis to deal with it, which apparently is shockingly low. And uh, they'll get after it. Um, the admission from Misty later in the episode that they never seem to make a dent, that it's always a war out there. Kind of a depressing overtone in, in light of everything in this episode, particularly in the way that it ends. I think there is there is a slightly downer take uh, to this episode, or at least to portions of it. I, I don't think it was like a, an episode that left me depressed or anything like that. But, you know, we are at the midpoint of the season. I'll mention, too, there's this risk here of the stylers acting in such a such a, an ostentatious way that it's not just those NYPD unis. Next stop could be the hammer of the government, could be ICE, and references made. Yeah unfortunately rather presciently for an episode that was shot uh you know some point last year probably last summer last fall this notion of they're just going to start rounding up people who you know rounding up jamaicans people who look that way they'll be stopped on site and um you know <laughs> what more can be said other than it, it's unfortunately oddly prescient that little nugget there that, uh, that the episode doesn't do more with in Sheldon, we have a face to the stylers past Bushmaster, uh, clearly a number two to uh, John McGiver, uh, calls him Skipper out there on the street directing those nameless thugs. And look, it's, it's a well-worn statement that there are no small uh, actors, only small parts or words to that effect. And you see here with Sheldon that this is not a this is not a, a part requiring a small actor. The whole, you know, you have five and he just counts down five, four, three, two, one, offers the uh offers the the Jamaican Creole swear word there and um and moves on because he knows, you know, that he's tougher than Luke Cage, simple as that, at least in that moment. With Bushmaster here, Matt, in this epic showdown on high bridge uh one of the old aqueducts of new york city and the way that it unfolds with the uh the paralysis that he inflicts to luke kicking him off and, and through the the chain link fence into the river there really really well performed and staged and blocked uh, performance out of uh, Mustafa Shakir. It is a surprisingly well done fight, particularly given how much, as I mentioned in the recap, how much 
you see the faces of of both actors so you know they're doing a lot of it for real some of the jump down grab the other guy with my legs and twist him over okay that probably was a stunt actor and and well performed there as well but um a great fight and also one that i think it it benefits from the fact that you're kind of watching it going here we are halfway through the season and it's the big season showdown what exactly is going on and i like that little twist of uh, of luke being paralyzed gee whiz pete i hope he makes it <laughs> it's gonna be a weird show without him isn't it um <laughs> with mariah here in this episode in a defensive mode uh she's in the police station she runs into an old flame She's uh, trying to track down where Piranha is with all of her legit money. Really not a way we're used to seeing her. I think another way that we're not used to seeing her is her level of kind of mental discomfort. She seems to be a bit unraveled. Now, I think rightfully so. Her dreams are falling apart. Her financial dreams, her community dreams... You can never question her on her desire to want to have a positive, true, lasting impact on Harlem. And she sees all that disappearing, whether it's through the lens of I'll do bad to do good or now she feels like she's just at the cusp of being able to do objective good or live in in an objectively good portion of the world. Uh, But it's all falling apart for her. And there has to be some sympathy there. Nonetheless, I'm also a little concerned that she's plotting against shades and plotting against everybody and starting to to make sure there are no loose ends. But in the interim, her dream is dying, Pete. You have to feel bad for that. Well, it's interesting with shades and transitioning to him. He still views Mariah as dangerous and fearless. And when the time comes that she'll she'll make the decision, unlike Cornell Stokes, unlike Cottonmouth. And it's interesting that uh, between Shades, Mariah, and Comanche, the next person we'll talk about after Shades, uh, this kind of triangle has formed now uh, of knowledge of who knows uh, who did what to whom. There's there's a lot of that in there, of course, and Shades is at the crossroads in many ways. He's getting pressure from Comanche to step up and be the leader that others see in him. Uh, you see a bit of that when he, you know, Mariah says, have you done such and such? And he says, you don't give me orders. We're partners. Uh, you certainly get the sense that he's feeling, he's feeling that pressure all around. Uh, he, too, wants the legit life. Uh, of course, he's willing to go for that hidden stash of guns the moment it's required. But all he wants to do is own the hottest club in New York since Mariah's on the way out anyway. And he's been denied that. He's been denied uh, that sense of partnership, that sense of, of equality within their business relationship. I don't know how things are in the boudoir. We'll, we'll leave that for Luke Cage after dark. Um, <laughs> but But again... He's somebody, too, as I said, I I believe in the last uh, Luke Cage podcast episode, I think there's a ton of audience sympathy for him, even though he keeps doing bad things. And, you know, maybe there is a route out for him that is uh, something other than, you know, death or jail. 
Yeah, he really kind of pines for that. He wants a world where he doesn't want to have to constantly look over his shoulder. Um, And whereas with Mariah, it's persistence and drive with um, shades, there's this world wariness. There certainly is. And I think it's a good time to start to transition uh, to talking about Comanche by way of focusing on that scene in Pop's Barber sh- Shop. Oh, Shades yes. And Comanche, Shades and Comanche back to back. And it really is kind of this, it's this moment for Shades to start to reflect on who can he trust. It's Comanche. What information is Comanche giving him? Essentially, you are wasted in your current number two slash, let's call it number one A, but it's actually number two position here. Uh, and it, it's a wonderful, wonderful extended scene with Comanche. Actor Thomas Q. Jones really, really is fantastic. Uh, just giving this sense of pathos, the sense of caring for his, uh, you know, for his brother in arms, for his boss, for his compatriot here. And this that scene in Pop's Barbershop left me saying, I want to get more Comanche. Well, you said it, Matt. I mean, that scene in particular is something I think we're going to digest much more in our big picture uh, segment. But, yeah, we've seen this uh, continued uh, evolution of their relationship. It was funny. I went back after I watched this episode and watched uh, the season one episode where we get the flashbacks of Luke in Seagate and Comanche's there with the the shaved head and they're beating and, uh, you know, terrorizing Luke and uh, squabbles. And uh, it really holds up in light of where we've seen them go. Big picture, where we break down theories about the road ahead. What's the starting point, Pete? Tembi Wallace, Matt, showing up yet again in Luke Cage. We've seen her in The Defenders. We've seen her here. We've seen her in Iron Fist. Uh, yeah, great to see a familiar face from the Marvel Cinematic Universe news side. It is great. And, of course, we, uh, we had... Her, her presence tipped off a little bit in, I want to say, two episodes ago when, when references made by assistant mm-hmm. Alex that she wants the, the sit-down interview. And uh, I believe Mariah's response was she can stand like everybody else at the press conference. Looks like you could have done with a little less press. Oh, well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, great to see Tembi. And it really adds to... It adds to the whole cohesion of not just the MCU as a whole. You know, we got reference... Uh, I believe it was in this episode of maybe it was last episode. Pete, they do blur it together a little bit, but you know, the big green monster. No, that's not what he's called, you know, but when you have, that's cute to have Hulk references. That's cute to have a character where you go, Hey, she was in the other show and the other show and the other show. It really adds to a feeling of authenticity. How about, uh, Tommy Rittenhauer and May May? I liked that reveal. Now the only, uh, how about this way? I would have normally said, uh, hey, you know what? Fine. People from the community have a connection. She's from Harlem. He's from Harlem. They both ended up at you know prominent positions within law enforcement or 
the, the, the gray world that Mariah lives in, fine, so be it. But interesting story choice that a uh, helpful uh, paperwork guy comes and gets Misty right before that gets revealed. So Misty does not see that. To me, that felt like a hand of the writer moment. And I would question, are they going to do something with that in the future where... I mean, because it was so prominent, Misty was told to go home. Then she still is standing there, which is okay, kind of Misty. Then paperwork guy comes and says, Cap says you got to do your paperwork right now. Then there's this revelation of Tommy and May May back in the day. I guess we'll see if they do something with that. If not, then why is Misty there in the scene at all? I don't know. Now, I think the most important piece of this episode matt the shades comanche bromance that scene in pops and i'll go right to it things that happen in prison that no one else would understand this could prove to be a really interesting turning point for comanche if they do kind of go for from a bromance to maybe something a little bit more whether it's whether it's held by uh, by both guys or just from Comanche's end, there's plenty of story room to do this. And I keep watching this season saying to myself, Defenders was fun, but each of these episodes is better. Why is it? Because I genuinely care about the world and the psyche and the goings-on of Luke Cage, of Misty Knight, of all these characters, where Defenders was more like, hey, let's get together and punch the mystery of the thing in the big giant hole in the ground which was fun but i'd much rather spend time learning about comanche's bond with uh bond with shades romantic or not i don't know but to me that's a much more fulfilling bit of story the piranha backstory in this episode and his whole past these are great great character moments going on here the tension that's occurred between shades and comanche all season centered around Mariah would seem to make a lot of sense with the subtext of this scene. It's never over. It's never, Hey, we were together behind bars romantically. And now we're outside of bars. I I don't want to say now we're out because if they're gay, they are not out. Um, It's, it's really interesting. It's not cliche. It's, I want to say, beyond timely, Matt. I I think we're in an era past hangups about this thing. Um, But I I don't think they they want to say it at this point, if not for the possibility of dramatic reveal. I think this season has a better emotional thrust to it than last season. Uh, we'll see if it ends up being ultimately a better season. I'm not, I'm not suggesting I can declare this the better season at this point, but whereas, whereas last season you had multiple bad guys and there was the whole weapon, you know, the Judas bullet, uh, aspect of it all. Okay, fine. This season, it's so emotional and so personal. Bushmaster is trying to get vengeance for his family and for his family name same for mariah same for luke if you know perhaps not the carl lucas name but the luke cage name um and so i feel like this is a season where if they wanted to explore that with comanche and shades they really really could because at the end of the day 
this is emotionally driven, not, you know, we have to stake out our claim in Harlem and you want to stop us from bringing guns into Harlem. It's kind of not so, it's not so overt the overall motivations in the season. From a slightly less substantive standpoint, Matt, how about Piranha getting abducted from the theater when Luke uh, goes around the corner and makes a phone call? I mean, the story supports it because we saw multiple scenes of the Jamaicans checking things out. We saw them IDing the the broken in portion of the theater in the early morning. Uh, so it all makes sense, but I know why it makes sense because somebody said, awesome fight scene where Luke rescues Piranha. Rescues Piranha from who? The Jamaicans. How did the Jamaicans find him? Well, they find him in early morning. Uh, did they just come across it? No, they've been searching all night. Great, put all that in the script. Searching, searching, finding, going in there. <laughs> so my point being this, it was a great scene and Piranha's reaction, you know, I, I think it was like, that was dope or something like that. It's true. It's a great fight scene. And it's, you know, it, it can't all be back to back two men talking about their feelings while they, while they experience, uh, you know, what, what could be their last day or what could be the first day of a new future. I get you want to spice things up with, with action. I'm fine with it. But just recognize that this was a little bit hand of the writer, maybe more so than other things. The Mariah Shade scene um, later on in the episode, the last one, I believe, they talk about tone and there's a quick flashback to when uh, he was thrown off the roof back in season one. Uh, she asks him who else knows about that. Um, and there had also been the discussion between Shades and Comanche, who we know is an informant of the police, uh, cooperating witness here um, about uh, Cornell that uh, Shades witnessed um, Cottonmouth killed, thrown out the circular window at Harlem's Paradise by Mariah. Um, and that Turk Barrett, Matt, Turk mentioned in passing here, let's hope sooner rather than later he shows up in season two, um, that uh, he also knows about Tone. This is an episode, perhaps more than any other this season, that asks the audience to be keeping track of, uh, of Luke Cage mythology. We have, as you mentioned, the, the Tone uh reminder luckily we get that flashback i think helpful to the audience uh we have you know i mean the passing reference to turk if you didn't catch it could you do without you know like is it is it a make or break moment no um but that certainly enriches things uh we also have misty seeing dr cabe uh, gabe krasner who i must confess i had i had the memory had grown faint of him from Luke Cage episode 109. I said, look, it's Ken Shay from Rescue Me. Uh, and then was like, wait, no, he was in Luke Cage before. So bottom line, this is an episode that is very modern TV in that you are required to remember aspects from season one, which was two years ago. And if you don't, well, hopefully the tone flashback, hopefully the the kind of expositional thing from dr krasner you know i'm not nypd anymore you can tell me confidential things that certainly satisfies the needs of this episode's story but all of it asking you be hooked into luke cage the series 
is Misty really done with the NYPD? I kind of think she has to be, if only because I think the story is done with her. Like, there's only so much she can do at this point as detective who's sympathetic to Luke Cage. Also, you know, a little comics knowledge, uh, Daughters of the Dragon, not to be confused with Dragons of the Daughter, completely different thing. Um, But there's that story possibility for her as well in terms of... You know, whether it's Defender season two, whether she shows up in Iron Fist, whether it's more Colleen in this episode, whatever it is, we're kind of increasingly fluid as to you are a Luke Cage character. You stay only in Luke Cage and so on and so on. Um, I think the character is too good to be limited to I play a cop only in Luke Cage stuff and occasionally when the defenders need to call the police. Matt, what about Luke Cage's paralysis? Gets stuff thrown in his eyes there. Uh, Bushmaster talks about things in the earth that uh, he knows how to use. Will we find out what it was, or is it just Mr. Fuji dust? <laughs> well, I think that some some people listening might say, well, hey, if you can call Hand of the Writer on some other stuff, why not Hand of the Writer on this? It is, of course, breaking up the big good guy versus bad guy showdown uh, at the midpoint of the season, which, you know, unless they're going to kill off Bushmaster a la Cottonmouth, which is certainly not the sense I get, certainly not what happened in this episode, uh, then you need something to interrupt the showdown of all showdowns. Um, and a magic thing in the guy's pocket, you might argue, is a cheap way to do it. I would say, for me personally, it's the it's the opposite. We've seen this mystery of things coming from the Earth. That's what powers Bushmaster. We don't need to necessarily peg it as, you know, uh, alien plant technology or Iron Man this or, you know, Chitari that uh, or magic. It could just be... This is a thing that occurs in nature that is unknown to most of us, but known to him and known to Tilda to a certain degree. Um, I don't know that we need Luke Cage CSI to come in and say, oh my goodness, it's a this and a that and the other. (laughs) It it works because I saw it work. And if you want to call the hand of the writer, fine. I don't. I say it's a way for him to get out of that fight that he's losing. That's in line with Bushmaster who wants wants the win by any uh by any means necessary and uh, and doesn't doesn't uh value the honesty of uh, of support speaking of support and definitely not poisonous matt are the good people who get themselves over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek and contribute to our family of podcasts indeed Listener support always appreciated those ongoing costs to to make the uh, the interwebs publish our voice files, and um, all we can do is say thank you for your support. If you haven't uh, if you haven't headed over to patreon.com slash fantastic geek, we ask that you give it a little look. Word on the street where we hear from you, the listener. Pete, what do you have? Matt, after suffering a little bit of uh, digital vandalism to our uh, accounts on iTunes, uh, someone left several one-star 
uh, ratings, no reviews, no words, no no actual uh, actionable uh, criticism, just hate. And uh, we put out the call last episode for some listeners to to step up and even that out. And Rose Mirtha uh, has written us a review here. It's headlined, Been Silent Too Long, Five Stars. And it reads, I've been listening to Fantastic Geek Podcast for many Marvel shows and have never written a review. I find them all to be the best out there. Comic book knowledge and MCU savvy adds so much to my experience of the shows. I so look forward to hearing them. Well, certainly kind words there from Rose. Always appreciated. And it's funny. I listen to a bunch of podcasts <laughs> other than the ones that we make. And I can tell you as a listener, it, it's so easy to just sit there, get the content that you love, listen to it with a smile on your face, sometimes go back and revisit it. But it takes that little extra bit of action to go and actually leave the review, which really does make a difference. It really does not just bring a smile to our faces, but it also you know, helps other people find the podcast, share the love, etc. So thank you again, Rose. Yes, thank you, Rose Mirtha. Well, Pete, for the remaining half of the Luke Cage season here, we, of course, would love to continue to hear from people, not just on iTunes. Pete, how can people share their love for Luke Cage with you? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,024 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Leave a comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Gmail, Instagram, and Twitter, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. Believe me, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word. Like it today. We will be back on both the Luke Cage feed and the Pop Culture Podcast feed in two days' time to talk more Luke Cage. Then some quick turnarounds. We'll be talking about Ant-Man and the Wasp this upcoming weekend. Of course, more Luke Cage on Sunday. So the road ahead is very clear indeed. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. The streets is hot. Oh, 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 oh,